Since everyone has a gender journey, Gender Journeys is a podcast for everyone. That being said, we occasionally touch on mature themes and use strong language, so listener discretion is advised. Relevant content warnings can be found in each episode's description. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Gender Journeys, the podcast where we talk about just what the heck gender actually is in context. As always, I am one of your hosts, Josie, and I'm joined by your other host, my lovely partner, Elle. Hey, y'all. All right, so what are we talking about on the podcast this week? As everybody is probably very used to at this point, once again, we are talking about my top surgery. <laughs> It feels like we've done a lot of episodes really close to each other about this, but it's just because... You got top surgery, and I think that's fair. Okay, that, that. and also because <laughs> we didn't record about top surgery for like a couple weeks after it, so now we're doing my six-week update, mm-hmm. which might seem like it's coming really soon after my surgery update, but that's just because we released the podcast at weird times. Now y'all are more or less on time with my actual healing process. Yes, yeah. We mentioned in the part two of your top surgery journey that like... It took a while for you to get to the point where yeah. you felt comfortable sharing that that half of the journey because it was yeah. a little bit more like you had to process some things. And so like... Yeah, the episode that was about like my immediate post-op. Yeah, I just... I needed some time to process it myself. This one is not because of that. This is just because I hadn't hit my six weeks until now. So I couldn't tell you about my six weeks until now. <laughs> yeah, and now you're six weeks post-op. I am six weeks in like a couple of days, like as of us recording this. Yeah. Yeah, which as a quick note on the recording, we are traveling right now, so yeah, I have sorry, no idea. I have no idea what the sound quality is going to be. We're in a cabin. This. It's raining. It's beautiful. It's it's lovely. Maybe not the best for acoustics. Maybe not, <laughs> but eh, we'll find out. My look great. If you're interested in top surgery, you'll listen through the shitty acoustics. <laughs> so. I guess to get started here, tell us about your six weeks. Yeah, so six weeks is kind of a milestone. Like if you um, are just starting to do your research for a top surgery, let me inform you. The big milestones are kind of like one week, six weeks, and then six months. Okay. Um, are like the big things change milestones. So at six weeks, at least according to my surgeon, obviously, disclaimer, like if your surgeon tells you something different, listen to your surgeon, not a podcast on the internet. Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But according to my surgeon, at six weeks, you no longer have a lifting limit. Mm -hmm. So I haven't been able to lift over 25 pounds for the last six weeks. I can finally lift anything I want. I could go fucking to the gym if I wanted to. Six weeks is also like, I mean, just kind of more vaguely, I just am starting to feel normal, which is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, And you put your arms above your head for me this morning and I was like, whoa. I can like fully, I can do whatever the fuck I want with my right arm. My left arm still feels a little tight, like fully extending it over my head. And I also should say, for some people, it's best practice not to put your elbows over your shoulders for the, for the full six months after surgery. That's best practice if you want your scars to fade and like be not visible. So especially people who are trying to like go stealth or, or trans men mm-hmm. um, or people who have scar dysphoria, which is super duper real for some. I, however... My fear is that my scars will fade. Like, I really don't want them to fade. That would make me very sad. I would probably get them tattooed back on. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not following the 
don't lift your elbows over your shoulders for six months thing. I'm kind of doing the opposite. I'm being pretty free reigning with yeah. lifting my elbows over my shoulders. Been. Yeah. I did kind of hurt myself doing that when we were moving, but my scars probably won't fade. <laughs> also at six weeks, most people, like the most standard healing process as far as I know, um, by six weeks, you don't have any scabs anymore, which means you can go swimming. You can like get your scars wet. That's the best practice that my surgeon told me is that like, you can get your scars wet as soon as you don't have any more scabs, which happened for me right around six weeks. Yeah. Well, you can take a shower before then. Yeah. Sorry. So you could like go swimming. You can like submerge your scars. scars. Yeah. Okay. Um, You probably wouldn't want to take a a bath before you, like when you still had scabs. That makes sense. You don't want to soak scabs because then they get less scabby. And they stop working. (laughs) And they stop working and they stop doing what they're doing. So I was able to go swimming without a shirt on for the first time because as Josie and I mentioned... We're traveling. We're at a lake. Um, So I went swimming and said lake. It was so much fun. So that was awesome. Yeah. So I know that six weeks is kind of like a milestone. And I also know that you recently had a sort of a six week check in with your surgeon. Do you want to discuss at all what that's like with the gender confirmation center or? Yeah. So if you're listening to this because you're considering getting top surgery and you haven't picked a surgeon yet. I really suggest people ask what the follow up care is like in their consults because I first off, if you're considering getting top surgery and you have been on the subreddit r slash top surgery, I've probably commented on your shit because I comment on most things that are in there. So I see a lot of what people post on there. And it sounds like some surgeons just like fucking drop off after your surgery. They're like, I yeeted your titties. You Gucci. (laughs) Bye. So just make sure you ask what your surgeon's follow-up procedures look like because like yeah that sounds like it causes a lot of stress to people online yeah it's not necessarily bad but make sure that you're aware of it before you go into it right you just because then you should ask like if you know you're not going to get another conversation with your surgeon you'll ask questions about like six weeks out whereas like i know that i you know five days after surgery was not thinking about six weeks out i was not thinking about like swimming in a month and a half i was thinking about oh my god take my drains out yeah yeah So that's just like a random piece of advice. But for me, at the gender confirmation clinic, which is where I got my my surgery done, I got it with Dr. Fakeway. So I traveled to San Francisco. I do not live in San Francisco. San Francisco is actually quite a long way from us. We don't even live on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. So we had to fly there. And we stayed in an Airbnb for about a week and a half, closer to two weeks. Closer to two weeks. um, Because we were there a couple days before surgery, a couple days after my week post-op appointment. So at one week post up, I went back in. That has to be in person. You have to get your drains out. Can't do that virtually. <laughs> then we flew back and I had a two-week follow-up appointment online where I kind of submitted this survey with like pictures and answered some questions about my healing process and had an opportunity to ask any questions that I had. And it was responded to by like a PA, I believe. It wasn't Dr. Fagway that responded, but like a very like like a couple pages worth of response from a PA, which was fantastic. And she said, then I should do my next one at six weeks. But I had a bunch of questions at three weeks. So I submitted one at three weeks. And then I did another one at six weeks. Right. Which is great because like I could do those as often as I wanted to. Like I just in my online patient portal, I can send those in whenever I choose to. It's not like they open that ability for me. They just give me suggested ones. Right. <laughs> and I've been trying not to like, blow up there right i mean i feel like it's probably they have specific answers for the milestones right and then if you have healing related questions that are like 
you're freaking out or like there's something that's clearly wrong earlier right. than that and you ask about it which was like, like part of it for three weeks for me is i had some stitches that were not dissolved and i was like um what do yeah <laughs> And they were totally, I, I, I was like, I'm sorry, I know I'm not supposed to do this again until six weeks. And she was like, no, no, like you can do this whenever. It's just that you have to do it again in six weeks. Right, right. And then I'm going to do another one at three months. And I, I'm guessing I'll do another one at six months. Um, so what was the process for, the, what, what was the six week follow up? So it's the same as the other ones. Like the, the survey that I fill out is the same. I took pictures of my scars, asked some questions. The big thing that she told me to do this time was scar massages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's really awesome when you follow your surgeon's advice. Yeah. People although, who are listening to this on the internet, make yeah. sure you're following your surgeon's advice. Yes, for sure. But also communicate to them. Because also, mm-hmm. another thing that I did at three weeks, one of the milestones for three weeks was that I could stop wearing my compression vest. But my compression vest was hurting my ribs. I couldn't bind before top surgery. Binding gave me all sorts of like really negative sensory issues and also just a lot of pain in my shoulders and ribs. Mm-hmm. So I didn't bind consistently. So the compression vest was like kind of my first experience with binding. And it really hurt my ribs. It was like bending in such a way that it was like bruising my ribs. And so a little bit before three weeks, I reached out in that like survey thing. And I was like, so I don't have any swelling. I was fucking on top of my low sodium diet like so mm-hmm. on top of my low sodium diet i don't have any more swelling this compression vest is like actively hurting me and i don't think it's doing all that much good can i stop wearing it and she was just like yeah, yeah. so like if you think like i know a lot of people on the internet like really hate the compression vest and feel like it's not doing anything but causing harm like reach out to your surgeon and fucking ask them right if that's available to you but... if that's available to you because like yeah sometimes like what works for everybody for healing might not work for you and the compression invest was not working for me right yeah i think the thing that i've really taken away from this experience with you is the healing process is, is kind of mutable like mm-hmm. there's a set process and there are things that you super duper shouldn't do and you should always make sure that you're talking to a medical professional about mm-hmm. like what your next step is but everybody is different right and like everybody heals differently and so there are different ways that you can like move through yeah. these different milestones and like and also like everybody heals differently but also people have different priorities for what they can and can't do right and so i know one other thing that you maybe want to talk about this week mm-hmm. was the kind of like decision to get top surgery do you still want to touch oh, on that yeah. today or yeah this is like less of a six-week update and more of just like a question that I hear as somebody who, again, just like really is active in the r slash top yeah. surgery subreddit. So, and I think that I have more hindsight on the decision making process yeah, now I'm that really, I've like done it. <laughs> yeah, I'm really curious about that because you're also like, because the six week is a relatively large milestone just in terms of your life getting back to normal, like your mobility and yeah. your healing getting back to normal. I feel like now you can kind of look back over these last, what, three-ish, four-ish months yeah, uh, like four or five now. So for like a vague timeline for folks, in like early February, I was like, okay, fuck. I think I actually want top surgery, right. <laughs> which was something that I'd been like avoiding thinking about for like a while. And it's something that I'd done a lot of other things to like try to be more comfortable with my chest that worked for periods of time, but weren't working in the long run. <laughs> they were working. They were like stop gaps. I was finally like, okay, like, I guess I'll like look and see if it's like even possible. Cause I think that I had this narrative that like it just wasn't gonna be possible, that it was gonna cost like 10K and it just 
Mm-hmm. It was just going to be impossible. I don't know. I just I just had never conceptualized that it could actually be a real option. Right. So I think conceptualizing that it's a real option is step one of making the decision. Like actually looking at surgeons and seeing if they take your insurance and seeing how much money it would be and like actually like really being like, oh shit, I could I could do this. Right. Um, and that happened like early February for me. And for me, I think what's interesting is I made the decision pretty fucking fast after that. I found out that my insurance did cover it. I found the gender confirmation clinic, which I vibed with since day one. I never really looked at other surgeons. I was like, this is it. This is my place. Um, I think notably you did actually look at some other surgeons, but the gender confirmation clinic was the only one with Dr. Mosier. And I didn't end up getting my surgery with Dr. Mosier. But I mean, he trained Dr. Fakeway. He did. And also like the whole gender confirmation clinic place is like all about affirming non-standard top surgery patients i've seen more darker skin patients in their clinic than anywhere else which is still not that many which is unfortunate because like i know that's a big issue of like darker skin people can't find examples of what scars will look like on their skin right but i've seen more at the, the confirmation clinic than other places uh, they do larger people so higher bmi people people have like really low bmi limits at other clinics which is ridiculous they do non-binary people which is my <laughs> i right. was like they do all sorts of like really fun non-masculinizing top surgeries which is awesome mm-hmm. so anyway i found that and so for me also like finding out that non-binary top surgeries fucking existed was a huge part of realizing this I mean, was an we option. Did, we did the episode really soon after you found that out. Exactly. Because, and, now you, and now it's one of our most mm-hmm. listened to episodes. Because like people don't know. Like I didn't know. And like, well, like, can I get like top surgery? But like, I don't want to look like a cis man. And I'm like, yes, you can. <laughs> Here you go. Here's some resources. So like, I think for like making it the decision, like allowing yourself to really sit with that like think about what scars you would want because there's different scars than just the masculine ones right. people do really cool diagonal ones which is like another non-binary top surgery I option that. yeah that like kind of are like they can go both ways but usually it's like higher up at the armpits and then kind of angles down which is yeah very doesn't follow the pec line at all it kind of goes against the pec line so it's very non-binary looking in the end interesting which is lit people do just like fun shit. I mean, it's your body. <laughs> right. So, like, really let yourself sit with, like, those options. Like, you don't... It's not like you have to imagine that you'd have a cis man's chest. Like, you don't just have to think about, like, what your fucking dad's chest looks like and try to mentally place it on your body. Like, you can have whatever you want mm-hmm. and sit with that. And if that makes you excited, you're probably... This is, like, this is a path that you should continue to walk down. Right. <laughs> and if it makes you overwhelmed, you still can explore this path. Like, overwhelmed is also a valid I mean, you got overwhelmed Reaction. several times. I got so overwhelmed. <laughs> I think step one to like deciding if you want top surgery is letting yourself just like really sit with the options. Right. Like really sit with them. That reminds me so much of like the steps that a lot of people take towards figuring out that they're tr- just trans in general mm. is that like a lot of people don't ever allow themselves to just sit with the option of not being cis. Like nobody right. ever examines their because gender identity. Scary. Because that's scary. It's scary. It. <laughs> is hard to do it doesn't feel like a real option (laughs) yeah yeah and similarly it doesn't feel like a real option i I mean especially because a lot of the prevailing narrative around things like top surgery is how hard it is to access how hard it is to access and how like you shouldn't do it unless you are like oh yeah absolutely wake up fuck that shit no absolutely fuck that nonsense i hate that nonsense that Mm. was like my main barrier to deciding to get top surgery which like at six weeks i am very confident in saying was the correct decision for me the main barrier genuinely was this idea that like if you don't 
if you haven't known that you needed top surgery since you sprouted titties and or if you don't wake up every day hating your titties, um, you shouldn't get top surgery. Which is, first off, some transmedicalist bullshit, but second off, just, like, very harmful. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you can be neutral on your titties and still want them gone. That's, that is okay. Sit with that. (laughs) Write that down. Look at it. Use it as a mantra. (laughs) And that also does not invalidate anybody who does have crippling dysphoria. Mm -hmm. Like, people who do have crippling dysphoria on their chest should, should have easy access to top surgery. Correct. Everybody in this country should be able to eat the teat if they want to. Exactly. Like, like that's that's the bottom line. Um, like, I should be able to. Right. Even though it... If I you mean, fucking I want to. I, I don't think I would. Because but, like, you should be able to grow your own titty. Like, via... I mean, I guess I grew my own titty, too. But, like, you should be able to make that decision, the active decision <laughs> to grow your... titties. <laughs> to make your... To grow your titties. And then cut them off. Like, I... It suits you, your body. I fucking love people on the internet that I've heard of who are like, I got breast augmentation, but now I want to get top surgery. And I'm like, fuck, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's all a journey. I mean, yep. that's that's the whole point of this podcast is your gender is a journey. Right. And so the decision to make top surgery doesn't have to be a linear one. Right. Because I think notably, I didn't get breast augmentation, but the thing that I did when I was like really trying to be more comfortable with my titties was I got a sternum tattoo mm-hmm. and like sternum and under boob tattoo at a tattoo convention it was great fun not breast augmentation but very much aimed in the same direction i was oh. like maybe if my titties were more ornamented maybe if they had a tattoo if they were enhanced I, if they were enhanced somehow i would like them more it right. worked for about a year i mean but it was not a long-term solution it was really hot <laughs> yeah like, it was great my was... sternum tattoo still looks great no regrets there but it was not a long-term solution i thought it might be mm-hmm. and then it wasn't i think that's really i think it's really interesting because we had an episode about body modification and tattoos mm-hmm. as a, like a way to help with gender dysphoria and i think that that is a really good example of a like stopgap measure i was about to say i wonder if in that episode because i think we did that before i decided to do top surgery i wonder if in that episode i said something about how it helped me with not liking my chest because that would be funny i don't remember off the top of my head if you did but i know that it took us a couple of tries to do that one because you were trying to access talking about it yeah and it was hard it was hard because i mean i have if you remember the episode if you're listening to this i have i do just have positive tattoo tattoo dysphoria dysphoria experience. experiences but like that one is more complicated because it wasn't enough it wasn't enough i mean but i think it was also helpful for you in that like progression and i think for me i wanted to try a couple of different things like i wanted to try like the whole like tits don't have to be inherently feminine which i do fundamentally believe in but didn't work for me mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway yeah. let yourself sit with the possibilities step one of deciding you want top surgery like really yeah. look up different things look up fish mouth top surgery has all sorts of wacky ways of doing it you don't have to do just like the standard yeah. di with masculinized nipples yeah. and i do want to say real quick on your note about like you don't want to try a few things first. That is also super okay. Yeah. You can you can try multiple different methods before you are ready to make a final decision that doesn't make your final decision less valid. Right. Then yeah, once you do that, find a surgeon. Like look up surgeons. Find one that has an insurance advocate, please. This is also for US people because I know like specifically in the UK, it's a whole different process and I'm, I'm sure other countries have even different processes. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, like yeah. you can just look up surgeons you can travel to surgeons like you don't have to find one near you so people go through their insurance first and their insurance tells them who they can go to but i suggest looking for surgeons first and then asking their insurance advocates if they are in network Um, and i think notably on that it's not necessarily accessible to everyone but 
I think based on what you what your experience was, that can help you recognize the breadth of options. Yeah. Because if you just go to your your insurance and say like I want top surgery, and then your insurance just like bills you out to some person who yeah. only does masculinizing top surgery, you might not you might not know that there are other options, and maybe that yeah. would inform your decision. And I know, so I, yeah, so I do, I definitely have the privilege of having a really, like, bougie insurance, and I know that. And I know that for the gender confirmation clinic, when I was looking at their insurance advocate, who is, like, a person who works there, who, you know, does what says on the tin, she advocates for you to your insurance. One of her, like, listed roles was if the surgeon is not in network for your insurance, trying to get him in network. Because, like, surgeons can become in network. That's how, that's how it works. Mm -hmm. So just, like... Don't trust your insurance when they say this is the only way that you can do it. Like, I would at least get, like, an opinion from an insurance advocate. Because also, notably, I was able to talk to her before I was, like, signed up. Like, I wasn't in the system as, like, Mm -hmm. a patient yet. I was able to talk to her first. Like, she was my first point of contact. And I was like, hello, here's all of my insurance information. Could I – could this be covered? It wasn't like I have to, like, be signed up for a surgery with Dr. Fakeway and then I get access to the insurance advocate. It was the other way around. She was my first point of contact. So I would just, like – if nothing else, just, like, look at surgeons that, like, fill your heart and soul and talk to their offices as well. Yeah. Because, like, your insurance is not on your side. Like, that's just fundamentally I mean, true. That's, that's the point. Insurance is not is trying really hard not to give you money. Like Right. And especially if you want a non-binary top surgery, like, or if you are otherwise, like, outside of this quote-unquote normal binary white, like trans man i almost said cis Uh, but like (laughs) cis top surgeries right but like binary white hyper masculine auntie trans man if you're outside of that for any reason surgeons who do top surgery can be like kind of harmful like i've heard really horrible stories of fat phobia i've heard really horrible stories of people telling you you have to be on t you don't you don't have to be on t to get top surgery absolutely the fuck not Maybe in certain countries, but in the U.S., you do not have to be on T to get top surgery. If a surgeon tells you that you do, that's their opinion, (laughs) not medical fact. So just, like, do your research, and if your insurance hands you a single surgeon that is not kind to you, like, know that you can go elsewhere. Yeah. Or at least you can explore other options. And, like, I feel like it's fraught to be, like, you can wait, because for some people you can't. Mm -hmm. And, like, if you only have one option and it's not the best option, it may still be a better option than, than nothing. Than nothing. Yeah. But if you do have the capacity to be able to explore a little bit more and find an option that like really fills your soul. And and I would just explore so that you know if a surgeon is giving you something that is their opinion, guys, that's medical fact. So, Mm -hmm. like, if a surgeon is, like, you can't do top surgery on somebody who has a BMI over 28, that is a medical opinion. Or that surgeon is actually – what the surgeon is actually saying is, I don't know how to do top surgery on somebody over a BMI of 28. Right. That's not fact, though. I think that looking at other surgeons can arm you with confidence that, like – if you have a BMI of 32, you're not broken. Like, somebody can do top surgery on you. Right. That bitch just can't. Right. And that bitch might be trying to shield themselves and protect their little ego and tell you that nobody can do it. Right. But they're lying. But like, they're lying. somebody can do it. And, like, same if they're, like, yeah, scars and nipple grafts look totally 100% exactly the same on dark skin. No, they don't. Like, they look different. It's a different healing process. Go look at other people's photos. Right. Or if they're, like... No, of course the scars are always going to be perfectly straight. Why would you want anything else? No, fuck you. I might want something else because I'm not a man. Mm. Thank you. I mean, there are several surgeons who refuse to not do nipple grafts. Like, they will only ever do top surgery if they can put nipples back on you. Right. And, like, 
Not everyone wants nipples. Exactly. Like, it might be less harmful if you wind up in a situation like that, if you are equipped with the knowledge that that's that surgeon's opinion, Mm -hmm. not medical fact. Because, like, and that's, like, part of the reason that I love gender confirmation (laughs) centers so much, is Dr. Moser is actually on, like, the, like, board of surgeons that's writing the medical standard Mm -hmm. for non-binary top surgeries. So he's, like, actually creating... The he's, actual medical fact around what non-binary top surgeries can look like. And he's, he's probably, from what I understand, he's trying to advocate on the behalf of non-binary people. Yeah, he's really space. into non-binary people. <laughs> um, validly, because we're super fucking cool. Yeah, I get that. But just like, do your research so that if you walk into a situation and a surgeon tries to spit some shit at you, you can be like, hey, I understand that you can't do this, but I need this done, you right. know? Right. Which like... It's fine if you can't advocate for yourself like that because ugh, our whole society is set up around worshiping medical professionals. But at least like in your brain, when mm-hmm. you walk away from it, yeah. you could be like, I know. Yeah. And it can be really difficult to advocate for yourself in medical spaces. And, and like, it's by design. I mean, that's the whole yeah. white coat effect. Like when somebody with a, de- a medical degree is talking to you, you have years of socialization that tell you to shut up and trust them. Right. And just like, there's a lot of stigma around this idea of doing research on the internet before you go to see a medical professional. But also like you can, in fact, gather information before you go to talk to a doctor. At the very least about like what's possible. Right. Because like, again, top surgery is possible on a lot more bodies than your average surgeon might think it is. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's just really where that lands for me. Okay. So anyway, steps for making the decision on top surgery from me. Mm -hmm. Let yourself sit with the possibility. Like really just let yourself sit with like, you could do this. This is possible. Then step two, do some research. Like really, whether or not that's research just generally or research about surgeons, whatever is accessible to you, but do some research before you walk into a consult and then schedule a consult, dude. It's going to be great. Because consults are also just that. They're just consults. You're not signing up right. for surgery when you do them. You're gathering information. Right. I think we talked about it during your, during the consult episode. But like the point of a consult is to help you, the patient, decide yes. whether or not to get surgery. Sometimes we conceptualize them as just a step in the surgery process, but they're not. Like you are learning about that surgeon. That's the yeah. point. That's why you're having yeah. a consult. It's okay. You can like- have multiple consults with multiple surgeons before you choose. Yeah. So... Kind of in a more like kind of zoomed out, not necessarily stepwise, but what do you think helped you make this decision? The pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd like to think the pandemic. Um, No, I would not like to think the pandemic. It's been terrible for the world. Anyway, but all the time to think that the pandemic gave me did help. Right. Um, So like really having time to like sit with this this decision and think about it and analyze it and do all this research because also there was like a solid two months where like this is just all i would talk about i would be like oh we're having another top surgery crisis let's talk about it (laughs) yeah we had a jingle board and everything (laughs) yeah having that time and space and i know i've also seen things on the internet about like when a partner is planning a trans-affirming surgery suddenly the other partner just like can't have any issues because like all the emotional energy of the household is around planning for top surgery so like communicating to the people around you that you're going to need that yeah and allowing yourself to take it yeah given that there's not something else happening like you know if josie had had a crisis during that time i wouldn't have then been like no fuck you we're talking about <laughs> top surgery but conveniently nobody leg else is broken but <laughs> 
but I really need you to focus. <laughs> Conveniently, nothing else happened in our household for a couple of months, really. So mm-hmm. um, we were able to really focus on it and like allow yourself to do that. It's okay to just be obsessive about this for a little bit. Yeah. If you're a partner of somebody who might be considering this, this is such a joyous and exciting time. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. The like, deadpan on Josie's face. <laughs> no, it really is. It's it. Sometimes they will talk about top surgery and you'll sit there nodding and you'll be like, we literally discussed this last night before it went to bed and now it is six in the morning and we're talking about it again. So I just feel like maybe forget that we talked about it. I did. I did forget. <laughs> but like, I, I promise you the payoff is so worth it. Like Elle yeah. is so happy and looks so good. And like, this is something joyous. If your partner is embarking on another stage of their gender journey and you are able to be there and support them and be there with them, it really does pay off. It's so beautiful. And kind of to the point of the first thing you said also, like, I would have the same crisis over and over. Like, oh, like, oh yeah. Like, over and over. And Josie just had to sit there and be like, have you considered the same thing that I said the last five times that we had this exact same <laughs> conversation? And I'd be like, whoa. No, I hadn't considered that. And Josie would be like, wow, well, why don't we sit with that for a second? <laughs> so, like, it doesn't help your partner to be like, we already talked about this. Just have the conversation again. <laughs> Some yeah. conversations I needed to have, like, 15 times before they sunk into my brain. Yeah. And, like, that that's that's supporting someone in this. And, like, you know, if you need to take emotional space for yourself, you know, obviously you can. That's right. something that you can do. Just make sure that you are advocating for yourself and also that yeah. you are realizing how beautiful this journey is. Yeah. And how, like, real it feels for your partner. I think that's the thing. Is like, sometimes you'd be like, do you realize that we had this conversation? And I'd be like, I literally don't realize that and I need to have it again. And you'd be like, oh, okay. Okay. I guess, I guess this is real for you. I guess you don't remember that you're saying the same thing you've said before. Yeah. Surgery inspires a lot of anxiety. And like, if you need to reaffirm things over and over, I just think that's very valid. Yeah. I also think just like trust yourself. So when I say trust yourself, I kind of also mean like trust yourself if you're feeling like maybe this isn't the decision for you. Like you have to allow for that option too. Yeah. We talked about that in a previous episode that like, it's actually a lot easier to make this decision if you accept that it might not be the right decision. Oh, yeah. And and the pressure in a medically transition. So like, if that seems really scary and like a completely new new concept to you, I would go listen to the pressure to medically transition. Because like, if you are sitting with this and and engaging with this idea of getting top surgery like 24 hours a day for like a couple months, which is what I did. And at some point in that, you're like, wait, I really don't know that I want this. Like I've looked into it, I've imagined it, and like I actually don't I don't like what I've imagined. I think it can be really hard to kind of put the brakes on that. Like you're like, but I already like told people I want top surgery. I already like looked into it with my insurance. Like this is a train that's like moving. Right. And you can it's your body. But it's your means- body. And you can pause, you can you can you can just pause and be like, wait, I think I need to explore the option of not getting top surgery. You can put the nicks on it entirely and then bring it back up like everything is open to you at any point if you're like oh i don't think i can do that Mm -hmm. sit with that and then imagine what it would be like if you did do that yeah yeah (laughs) and figure out what the the final moment is so that you can make sure that you're being very mindful of that final moment when Elle and I were talking about this I told them that like basically they can duck out until they go under for surgery yeah. if they wanted to which is a financial privilege for us. that's what I was gonna say that's a financial privilege so like for some people that might be like when the money goes down right kind of thing is when you actually have and we to had be... a huge crisis when our money went down yeah I put the money down probably when I was most unsure because of like some family stuff. So that might be some people's point of no return. Like Josie was saying, for us, we established the point of no return as like the surgery, Um, Mm -hmm. which like, 
yeah was financial yeah. privilege for yeah. us and that's not that's not acceptable to everyone but maybe just try to identify that for yourself so that you can allow yourself to have those moments of like i i want to make sure that like i consider not getting this and that's yeah. okay too and actually on that note something i talked about with my therapist a lot in like the couple of weeks leading up to the surgery was how heavy the decision was like mm-hmm. i had a lot of anxiety in the couple of weeks leading up to it which i'm sure is very normal it's, it's surgery but for me that had a lot to do with like like i said i was neutral on my chest before relatively mm. <laughs> I was relatively neutral on my chest before. So deciding to do something massively different was a big decision for me. Like, yeah, in in some ways, a bigger decision than if I'd hated my chest since the day that the titties sprouted. Right. Because that's like a you know that you don't like it this way. So anything is better. But I was neutral. So not anything was better, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I just was so tired of constantly feeling like I was going to need to defend that decision. Yeah. It was exhausting to be able to defend it to myself. I Obviously, my own brain was the worst critic, right? Yeah. But then also to defend it to, like, everybody around me. Like, I – because I hadn't done it yet. And, like, some people in my family were less excited about my idea of getting top surgery than others. And, like, needing to defend it. And I have a lot of people in my life who have had breast cancer, so they had very different experiences with mastectomies and were very scared for me. So I had to like fend off their fears. I had to fend off other people's emotions. I had to be like, no, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the right decision for me. Oh, that was so hard. That was probably the hardest part of yeah. like the entire thing. And I didn't recognize it until my therapist, they were like, it's hard. You're making this decision every second of every day. Once the tits are gone, you don't have to make that decision anymore because there's no decision. I'm not making a decision. It's done. It's right. passed. And like making that decision every second of every day was so exhausting. Yeah. So like also allow yourself to like, that's hard. Like it might be really hard for you. It was really hard for me. And just like allow yourself that space because yeah. like you're carrying a lot of weight. And a lot of people's emotions, if you're anything like me and the people around you have a lot of ideas and thoughts on your top surgery. Yeah. I don't have any advice for how to deal with it, (laughs) just recognizing that it might happen. (laughs) All right. Do you want to say anything in a quick summary here? Okay. If you're trying to make the decision, imagine the possibilities, really sit with them, maybe draw them, maybe Photoshop them, just really sit with them. Do your research on different surgeons, even if that's not accessible to you financially, just so you are well equipped to talk to the surgeon you can access. Decisions are hard. They can be non-linear. Also sit with the possibility that you don't want this. 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. I think that the, that's the three-step process to deciding if you want top surgery. <laughs> All right. That's where we're going to wrap it up this week then on Gender Journeys, the podcast where we talk about just what the heck gender actually is in context. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Josie, and I'm joined by your other host, my lovely partner, Elle. Bye, Elle. And until next time, just keep thinking about it. Music for Gender Journeys composed by Sonia Berdash. If you want to stay up to date with Gender Journeys episodes or just want to say hi, you can follow us on Twitter at gender underscore journeys or on Tumblr at genderjourneys.tumblr.com. You can also find us online at josiewrites.com slash gender journeys. We hope to hear from you soon. <laughs>